Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Few potential life events are as awful to contemplate as being robbed at gunpoint, sexually assaulted, or witnessing the murder of a loved one. But what if an expert told you that it's entirely possible to recover from traumatic crimes like these and in the long term be stronger and wiser as a result, perhaps even if uh, the circumstance had dire consequences. And what if this expert also informed you that you can learn how to avoid being a target, how to regain control and focused during or immediately after a calamity, and perhaps even more surprising, how you can reset your neurological pathways to create a new version of the horrendous event one that points the way to a more positive future. And the expert's name is Jillian Padgett, and the good news is I have her here with me today. And to fill you in on her background, Jillian Padgett is a trained psychotherapist and a hypnotherapist who has worked with victims of crime and families of murder victims for more than 25 years. She also specializes in relief and mastery of stress, regardless of its specific causes. And she began her practice in London, England, and currently practices in British Columbia, Canada. She's worked for government departments, nonprofit organizations, companies large and small with many individuals, all seeking help to overcome stress. And she's author of the new book, Let Stress Heal Your Life, Uncover Your Amazing Capacity to Thrive. And hello, Jillian Padgett. It's great to have you with us uh, in these stressful times. Hello, Roy. It's lovely to be with you. Well, I'd like to begin with uh, today's discussion with the basics. The title of your uh, book's first chapter is Stress Demystified and Simplified. Can you please give us your definition of the word stress? And what is this disturbing phenomenon that robs so many of us of peace of mind, joy of living, and perhaps even our health? I think really, Roy, I see stress as um, a a way when we become really out of balance. And so it doesn't matter whether we're mentally out of balance or emotionally out of balance or even physically out of balance. Tipping the scale in any direction sort of affects us totally, wholly. I like how you uh, compare our reaction to stress like a rubber band. It depends on how, how far the band is stretched and how strong, the, the, how wide the band is and how strong its components. So I guess that's kind of like our reaction to stress then. It is. It's like our resilience and our, our ability to cope in a way. Yeah. Well, without a doubt, stress is a condition uh, none of us would like to, we'd all like to avoid or alleviate. And I'm surprised by the title of your new book, Let Stress Heal Your Life. How in the heck can a negative phenomenon like stress heal our lives? Oh, easily, because um, the the stress that we go through indicates and highlights the areas 
where we need to pay attention and we need to make some changes. I see. So, it's kind of like a road sign then. That, <laughs> absolutely like a road sign, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, obviously, certain catastrophic events, war, famine, natural disaster, negatively impact all of us, but some victims are resilient and bounce back while others do not. What characteristics are found in those folks that are best able to uh, shake disaster off and then inspire others and, and lead recovery efforts? I think it's uh, very often it's a, a mental attitude. If we if we um, if we constantly go over and over a problem, and we're not seeking the solution, or, or we're so much in the feeling of the problem yeah. that we can't get beyond it, then and if um, we constantly relive how great things were before the tragedy and uh, don't think of any ways they can become better in the future, it's not going to help either. I wouldn't think. Well, it's often helpful if we um, if we remember the wonderful times and we really live those wonderful times in our minds, so that we get, we feel ourselves there, and we you know we can see ourselves there. Oh yeah, um, that's true. But I just don't want to be mournful about it, and not to you know with, have the opinion there's no chance it's ever going to be wonderful again. <laughs> that's that's the problem. If we think that nothing's going to get any better. But if we can remember, even if we remember those really good times really well, we're actually creating neurological changes in our brain, yeah. which affect our body. So it's, it's useful. <laughs> well, as you point out in your book, stress is not always the result of an obvious external calamity. Can you briefly summarize the story of the lady you call Sandy, a strong and highly capable woman whose behavior became erratic and uh, whose personality changed as a result of stress? and the causes of her stress were, were hidden to everyone. What, what was the story on that? Is this the lady that was working, um, was head of a department? Yes, um, that's the one I think it was. She was from... Yes. She, she was amazingly um, efficient and effective, and she ran everything beautifully. But she had a number of things that were going on in the background for her. Which she um, hid from, I guess, her associates at work and stuff, probably. We, she never talked about them. She was a very private lady. Yeah. So her, her strength was really in being able to support other people, but she wasn't getting the support she needed. Her husband was playing around in the background. And, oh, great. Um, you know, and a number of things were going on for her. Yeah. And so it was sort of a series of things that she had to put her mother, her mother in a home, if oh. this, I think this was Sandy, yeah. And that, that really upset her because she felt incredibly guilty. Yeah. And all these emotions just built up, and then something occurred with her daughter. And um, that was really the turning point for her. She flipped at that point. But nobody understood what was going on because she was a very private lady. And at work, she just became more and more impatient and really rather rude. She was in charge of customer services, if oh, I remember correctly. That's so something you can't be was, rude. Yeah, <laughs> and she became rude and impatient, and that was when something, you know, they realized something needed to be done to help her. And she's just been holding on to all these issues and not, and thinking that she needed to be strong. And I think a lot of us think we need to be strong. And if we get upset, we're being weak. But actually yeah. upset sometimes is an indication we need help. Yeah, that's that's for certain. But uh, oh, we need well, to make a change. <laughs> well, contrary to Sandy's experience, where stress built up over time, 
You tell us that stress can be activated in an instant of time. And as humans, what are the three primary senses that alert us that the threat is upon us? <laughs> I think these are fairly obvious. But uh... Yeah, well, we, we, we can see something that seems dangerous. Yeah. Um, or, 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 or makes us afraid. I mean, that's really one of the things that accesses or, or activates the stress response. Or else we can hear a sound that frightens us. Yeah. Or we just feel afraid. And, yeah. and that's often educational. We may be hurt by something, but, you know, physically hurt. But, yeah, those, those, yeah. those are the things that tell us something's going on. Well, when alerted an instant to impending danger, what are the three basic human choices that we all have? <laughs> Oh well, we, we yes, we we can fight or we can run away, or we freeze on the spot. You know, if you see a snake sort of there, you might freeze. <laughs> I would anyway. <laughs> yeah, fight, flight, or freeze. I like those. And uh, I've always heard of fight or flight, but uh, you told us uh, in your book you tell us about a time when freeze was the right option for you. What was? Who did you run into that time? <laughs> I'm not sure. Was that when I saw a snake? I think it was when you saw a bear. <laughs> oh, when I saw a bear, yes, here in um, where I'm living, I was I was <laughs> going for a walk and um, I was just about to cross the path and up an embankment the other side of the path, the bear appeared. Oh, um, wow. They have very bad sight, and um, <laughs> it didn't notice me. I froze, but I rang my little bear bell. <laughs> and it heard the bear bell, and it looked up, and it turned around. It obviously thought that I wasn't, um, you know, I wouldn't be good company. Oh, <laughs> so it, it went it. off. <laughs> well, I was hiking one time in the Smoky Mountains by myself, and I came across a bear and her cub, and that was the last thing you wanted to do. Oh. And I froze like that, too, unfortunately. She just uh, passed across my path and went on, but <laughs> that was pretty scary. I don't think I don't think they would do anything to us unless we got between them and their baby. Their no, probably not. But uh, Yeah, I think they're, uh, <laughs> they're beautiful. Well, we all know that uh, in certain circumstances, stress can be good, even life-saving, like we were just talking about when it alerts us of a pending disaster. But constant <laughs> and long-lasting stress can wreak havoc on our peace of mind, enjoyment, our life, even our health. And when we feel challenged or under constant pressure, you tell us we tend to slip into one of four unfortunate behavior patterns. Please tell us what they are and summarize the unfortunate consequences. How do we tend to react in those four behavior patterns? The four behavior patterns, there are a number of behavior patterns that we can go into, but um, having already mentioned the sort of fight and flight, um, yeah. we, we, we can um, become very aggressive. Yeah. We, can withdraw, we can withdraw. We can yeah. become very tem temperamental um, and very um, upset about life. I mean, yeah. I think those are the sort of main areas. They're, um, yes, I think those are the main areas, the things that we can do. But there are many other behaviors. If we get... Um, if we're used to certain childhood behaviors that then grow into our adulthood because they've never been adjusted or corrected, we can have some very strange behaviors. <laughs> yeah, we can revert to our childhood. Yes, what worked yes. when we were six years old or something. Yeah, we can do that quite easily. <laughs> well, with the exception of trauma, a violent crime, a car crash, tornado, something like that, which tends to come from an unexpected, unpredictable and frightening circumstances, you, uh, stress often tends to slowly sneak up on us, 
But in the blog and your website, you tell us that before stress hits, we often get warning signs. Can you give us a few signs that we should look out for that uh, warns us that we need to get back on track and that stress is uh, uh, impending upon us? Yes. Um, if if we look at sort of mind, body, emotion, spirit, if if we're if um, stress is slowly slipping up in our direction, we may find that we're our minds are going round and round over something, yeah. um, or else we get sort of completely overwhelmed and can't cope at all. Um, emotionally, we may feel very tearful, or we may get very quickly angry, um, or we may just sort of want to withdraw completely and duvet dive. Um, as far as physically, we get all sorts of things like headaches and yeah. digestive disorders and get very overtired. We maybe yeah. can't sleep, which is one of the problems, I think. Yeah. And and if we say spiritually, I would say we lose our joy for living. Yeah, that's we so true. Yeah. <laughs> well, obviously, it would be unique regarding each individual, but uh, in broad terms, uh, if you were pre to prescribe a blueprint for stress-resilient living, what would it look like? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think you have a, well, you, you mentioned that in your book, a blueprint for uh, stress-resilient living is one of the one of the uh, steps that you're recommending to uh, pinpoint and locate triggers and, and stressors. But, uh, oh, dear. I don't have my book in front of me, so I will... Try and remember. Um, I think one of the things is to always watch our thinking. Yeah. And make sure that we're... we're and I don't believe in being um, artificially positive. No. Um, I believe... You can't fake out yourself. <laughs> no, you, you, you actually have to recognize what's going on for yourself, but always using a challenge as, a, as, a, as an opportunity to find another answer or another way to do something yeah. is, I think, a, a fairly healthy way to go. Um, as far as, as, far as um, emotionally, I think always to go back into our heart and find something that we love or someone we love or something that's you know, amazing that always makes us feel good in our heart. Yeah, that makes and, a lot of sense. And to choose to be kind yeah. to ourselves and others. Yeah, if you're not kind to, uh, you have to be kind to yourself, but also to be kind to others, and they'll be kind to you, and that, that builds on yeah. itself. <laughs> yeah, it's a sort of cycle. If we, feel, if we feel loving and feel kind, we find that people react to us completely differently. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's a that. <laughs> Sorry. Let's talk briefly about the ultimate instantaneous stress-producing circumstances. You label it the worst of the worst, a traumatic, perhaps violent crime against you or a loved one. Having worked with crime victims and families of victims for 25 years, can you offer suggestions first on how to avoid falling victim to such a crime, perhaps robbery, murder, or sexual assault? How can we protect ourselves from that, especially you ladies? Well, I usually go through a process with um, my victims of crime, lady victims of crime particularly, after the event. Nice. And they review that the whole process of, of what went on and where yeah. they went and how they walked and one thing and another. And we know from research and for, from um, questioning men who have attacked women mm. that when they look at videos or movies, 
of, of women walking down a street. And a number of men have been asked which ones they would attack. They all choose the same women. So there is a way that we can walk and the way that we can be in life, which is confident and yeah. to move purposefully and to not loiter around in dark streets or look in shop windows and not talk on your cell phone when you're going anywhere. That's really, really important. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people feel safe if they've got their cell phone in their hand, but they're not really. They need to be looking around and, and moving. Yeah. Well, try as we might, it might be impossible to avoid a crime, uh, care, uh, a serious accident, or other traumatic event. And uh, you have a, a blog on your website that gives uh, six things you should do and three things to avoid doing following trauma. Because you, uh, you don't have to give us all six and all three no's, but uh, give us a little idea of something we should do and shouldn't do after a trauma. After trauma, um, one of the things is to be aware of how you're feeling yeah. um, physically and um, mentally. The, the, what, what we do immediately after anything, or, or very often, is to carry on as normal as though nothing's happened to us and we're absolutely yeah. fine. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> Try to... Get an act, we, act British, I guess, is what you're doing. <laughs> I think, I think Keep maybe that's lip. it. I think a lot of people, it's called denial, but it, it is that, that sort of business of okay, well, I'm fine. You know, I was I was fine yeah. five minutes ago before I hit the hit the you know hit the tree or whatever it is. Yeah. So it's a matter of saying, okay, well, now how am I? Yeah. Being, you know, looking at that and then really addressing it and, and checking within oneself physically and mentally and maybe emotionally for a number of hours afterwards to make sure that you are moving forward and, uh, and you are okay. And you, you uh, should always find support because it's so important that you lend support, but you also have support. And so many people, like you, you say, don't want to admit they need help and they just uh, give a stiff upper lip. You need support. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you need support. You need somebody to talk to. And ideally, you need somebody to talk to, especially if it's a big, uh, uh, all your family's involved in it. Yeah. It's really helpful to have somebody outside to help you. Yeah. So that, I know um, it's one thing you say to avoid is um, bringing, uh, offending your family members uh, or offloading your problems on them when they're also in deep pain. That's, I think. Yeah, it's the, hugely <laughs> important yeah. because they can barely cope with their own. Yeah. And have to deal with yours is too much and also to recognize which i think is vital to recognize that everybody responds differently especially oh, yes. emotionally it, it's one of the things that breaks people's families i'll break that families yeah. um, if there's something really major we need to recognize and honor the other people and for the process they're going through and then there's a chance that you your relationship will survive yeah, that's that's so true. But, um, no, years ago when we lost our daughter in a plane crash, it, uh, you know, I tend to be very silent about it and uh, suffer alone. I, I should have asked more for help from my wife and given her more, but, uh, you know, she reacted totally different than I did. And it, it uh, we didn't get near divorce or anything like that, but uh, we still, you know, I, I know that I should have expressed more, uh, probably more support for hers. You couldn't. You you yeah. had your own um, no. pain, and she had hers. You you can't. That that's one of the really big things we cannot take on other people's pain. Yeah. 
we can only help them move through. And you were dealing with your own, so yeah, it's it, sure. you know really really hard. Yeah, yeah. Just did it in a different way than uh, well. Perhaps the yeah. toughest question of all for me is: uh, you promised to show us how to reset our neurological pathways to create a new version of a traumatic event. And let's say you passively stood by as your spouse was sexually assaulted or your best friend was murdered while the criminal was robbing the two of you. You are unarmed and not capable of overpowering the perpetrator. How in the world can you mentally change the outcome so that your wife was not assaulted or your friend was still alive? And what good does it do to uh, create an alternate version of the event if it's really not true? Oh... Um, I'm not saying you can do that for everything. I'm saying that when you have gone through the healing process of of a trauma, one of the things that you can do is distance yourself. There's a a way of looking back or looking at it from a distance, maybe from above. Yeah. or making it very, very much smaller and seeing it on a, uh, you know, on a mini screen or something in black and white, tiny, tiny. And you can change the feelings that are associated with the event so that you, you neutralize them. In in other words, you're not, you're not feeling the pain as it happens. And and I I know what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, Because it's like, it's like hypnosis or it's like, um, it's a combination really of hypnosis and neuro-linguistic programming. And, and it just separates the two. And then somehow or other, it, it almost like puts it in a bubble that has no feeling around it. And it doesn't mean that you're not feeling. It just means that that's the past and you've more than likely learned and you've experienced and you've healed to a degree, but you don't need to keep going over that pain. Yeah, okay. Uh, Yeah, I see what you're saying. uh, You don't really change the event. You just change. uh, You become an objective observer over time as you you accept what happened. Yes, because... um, I'm I'm a fairly sympathetic and empathetic person, but I could never help people in extreme trauma um, if I imagined myself within it or I was seeing them not getting through it. And so in a way, it's the same sort of thing because it's seeing yourself through it. It's seeing that you're beyond it. You're no, no longer in it. Yeah, Does that, make no, sense? That, that makes so much sense. Well, let's talk a bit about your acclaimed new book, Let Stress Heal Your Life, Uncover Your Amazing Capacity to Thrive. Who is the book written for? Uh, please complete the following sentence. There is something in this book if, or something for you in this book if. <laughs> like, who there would that be? A, there is something in this book for you if. You want to be able to understand some of your reactions and responses and maybe change them so that you can handle stress effectively and become more stress resilient. Yeah, it's it's so... So few of us really understand what's stressing us out, and it may not be what we think it is, and so that makes a lot of sense to me. Well, after 25 years of helping folks get over trauma and overcome stress, what prompted you to write the book now? I think I had, um, well, I, I have developed a way of working with clients, and it's a method that they're able to 
I, I teach them really so that they can move along and use some of these strategies themselves at any time. I don't know if I mentioned in the book, but I, I met somebody about 10 years later when I went back to England a while ago, and I just happened to see her, and she said, Gillian, I'm still doing those things you showed me how to do. And I thought, well, that's wonderful. It means they work. Yeah, that's <laughs> so great. That's partly why I've written the book, because many of the things work, and it's a matter of choosing what's enjoyable and easy to do and yeah. working from there. Yeah, I love it. Your book tells you what stress is, where stress comes from, how stress affects you personally, what you can do to effectively relieve the stress, and how to become stress resilient. Uh, and that's probably the, something everyone would like to know, is how to become more <laughs> stress resilient. <laughs> uh, where's the best place for our listeners to go and preview and purchase your book? Uh, oh, they can get it on your life. Uh, they can get it on Amazon in paperback. And oh. in um, e e book Kindle. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, uh, you also offer one-on-one uh, -on -one and group coaching on uh, success over stress, as you put it. I like that term. Please give us your <laughs> website, or where where can listeners go to learn more about your uh, consulting or uh, your coaching? Oh, um, on www.stresswisdomsolutions.com. Yeah, I found it there, and that's uh, quite a comprehensive website, which I would highly recommend. Uh, and you even have, uh, you give a free uh, download uh, about sleep. What's the, what's the name of that download? Sleep well. Sleep well. Yes. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's Yeah, that's that's an excellent download, and uh, I could use that and, and download that myself because I often have trouble sleeping. But uh, in conclusion, in our modern, fast-paced, electronically wired. 24-7 society, stress is becoming ever more common, and sure, occasionally it comes from a major external event like the Florida school shooting or uh, some horrible hurricane or something, but more often it sneaks up on us uh, following a series of challenges. And what if stress has nothing to do with your bank account, your job or lack thereof, your love life or parenting, your teenage son or daughter? In fact, it could have something to do with something that happened years ago that you're not even aware of. And what if the damaging effects of stress have very little to do with the actual challenges you face? Uh, and uh, whatever the cause, stress is not something we want in our lives, and it isn't always easy to ID what's causing it and how important, more importantly, how to remove it, and how well you and I handle stress is the key to both our health and our happiness over the second half of life. But the good news is you're not, you not only can conquer stress, you can also use it, as Jillian points out, to advance your life and thrive. And I highly recommend you get a hold of Jillian Padgett's book, Let Stress Heal Your Life. And thanks a million, Jillian, for joining us here today. Thank you, Roy. It's been wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Have a really good weekend. Before we go, I'd like to briefly discuss a health issue that's so very common to middle age, especially in the latter stages, say late 50s or early 60s, and that issue is cataracts. In fact, ophthalmologists tell us that uh, most all of us, if we live long enough, at some point will develop cataracts that are advanced enough for surgery to remove them. And I speak to the issue myself because a couple of years back I uh, had cataract surgery to remove uh, 
cataracts that have developed in both eyes. But here's some great news. I see fabulously today without glasses or contacts, better than at any time since I was an adolescent. And before I proceed, let me mention that most of the information I will pass on came from an article by David Chang, M.D., a clinical professor of ophthalmology at the University of California, San Francisco, in the April 2018 Bottom Line Health newsletter. And I know no one wants to have surgery, and that's a scary term, isn't it? So I kept putting it off when my optometrist recommended it. I probably put it off for three years, and uh, things kept getting a little more fuzzy all the time. But let me tell you this. Once I had had the cataract surgery, I was uh, extremely pleased and wondered why I had waited so long. You see, the whole procedure took only about 40 minutes and two 20-minute sessions. I think they were a week or two apart, one for each eye, and they all are on an outpatient basis. For me, they were in a clinic or maybe in the outpatient area of a hospital. But uh, you'll go home as soon as the procedure is over. Uh, Serious vision-threatening complications like infections are extremely real, are rare, I should say, (laughs) not real, rare. And it's successful in about 99% of the cases. Those are pretty good odds, aren't they? And that makes it one of the most effective of all surgeries. And the benefits are undeniable. Within days, heck, for me, within hours, you'll see better with sharper vision, better nighttime eyesight, and fewer bright light halos. But that's not all. The procedure, which usually is done one eye at a time, is performed while you're awake and while your eye is numbed with eye drop anesthesia, so it's not even painful. And most most in health insurance plans will pick up the tab. Now, most people are familiar with the telltale signs of cataracts, but let me go over them briefly just in case you're not aware of them. The normally clear lens within your eye becomes cloudy and or discolored, and because the lens focuses incoming visual images and transmit them, transmits them to the retina, these changes, though generally gradual, occurring over a period of years even, uh, can cause significant vision impairment or loss if untreated. And the lens sits behind the iris and iris and pupil, uh, so you can't self-diagnose cataracts by looking in a mirror, even though you know you can fool yourself and say, hey, I don't see anything growing there. <laughs> Only an eye doctor using a special microscope can actually see cataracts, and that's why it's important to see your eye doctor in addition to having routine eye exams, of course. If you're experiencing vision problems, including blurred vision, difficulty seeing details such as small print, or road signs, and glare or poor night driving vision. And age is the main risk factor for cataracts. Hate to tell you that, but we're all getting older, aren't we? When you're young, the proteins that form the lenses of your eyes are arranged in a way that makes the structures crystal clear. But over time, these proteins eventually start to clump together. That's not very nice of them, is it? And reduce the amount of light that passes through. And by the time uh, you're in your uh, 60s, maybe even your late 50s, these changes will have gradually begun to occur. It's almost guaranteed that they will. 
an earlier onset of cat, uh, cataracts also has been associated is possible and it's been associated with such risk factors as smoking, diabetes, prior retinal surgery, severe nearsightedness, excessive sun exposure, and prolonged use of certain medications such as steroids. Another good reason to stay off those steroids, isn't it? And cataracts can affect one or both eyes. I know my left eye uh, had much worse cataracts than the right eye did, although I had surgery in both eyes, either simultaneously or at different times. And in the past, doctors advised, advised patients to delay surgery until a cataract was, as they called it, ripe, meaning that it was so advanced that the benefits justified the lengthy recovery and the potential for complications due to a large incision that was used at that time. But un and unfortunately, many people are still operating under this misconception, but believe me, it's no big deal now. You don't need to wait so long. If the cataract is impairing your daily activities even slightly, such as reading or driving, if you have to squint all the time, it just makes sense to have cataract surgery sooner rather than later because of the procedure's exceptionally high success rate. And here's another great factor. Uh, you know, you'll obviously see better once a cataract is removed, but one, what some people don't realize is they might see better than they ever did, which is my case, at least since I was a teenager. The surgeon will remove the cloudy lens and replace it with a clear artificial lens that comes in more than 50 different powers. So effectively, you're getting glasses or contact lenses implanted in under your eye. Suppose that you've always worn glasses to see well in the distance. Well, when you have cataract surgery, a replacement lens can be chosen to correct your particular type and degree of optical error. And for example, some lenses correct for astigmatism even. I wasn't aware of that. Blurred vision that is caused by incorrect corneal curvature and certain artificial lenses function like bifocals even and uh, reduce how frequently people need or maybe eliminate altogether the need for those reading glasses. <laughs> now I don't have, I still need those readers but uh, I go to the dollar store and get them for a dollar. <laughs> they usually don't last very long until I sit on them or they crack but uh, for a dollar a pair they do just fine when I'm reading. And in a lot of cases, I don't even need those if I'm out in the sun or out where it isn't real dim or anything. I can read very clearly without anything on. And in most cases, cataract surgery won't completely eliminate the need for these uh, readers. And most people will have excellent distant vision without glasses following cataract surgery. However, most will need reading glasses but can perhaps use them less often and or get by with a lower power prescription. I go with about 2.0 or 2.5. It's pretty simple. You can buy those at any dime store or Walmart or wherever. And surgery is the only treatment for cataracts, and it's a permanent solution. That's what's great about it. The new lens will remain transparent forever, and unfortunately there's no medication that you can take to halt or reverse cataract formation. Isn't that strange? They seem to have medicine for everything now. Uh, but what you can do, uh, is there anything you can do to prevent cataracts? Uh, well, one thing, wear sunglasses with UV protection whenever you plan to spend prolonged periods of time outdoors because 
bright sunlight helps produce and grow cataracts, and virtually all sunglasses today are UV protected. You can wear a broad-brimmed hat to block UV radiation. It will reduce your risk for eyelid skin cancer as well as cataracts, and that sounds pretty unpleasant, doesn't it? And, of course, eat a nutritious diet. Many studies have found an association between healthy diet and fewer cataracts, but that's uh, not the same as proof. But we all know that uh, a healthy diet pretty much helps any area of our body, including our eyes. And other research has looked at the effects of fish oil supplements or regular meals, including fatty fish, vitamin C, vitamin E, and other nutrients. They're good for the eyes, and they're good for most everything else in the body, too, so don't pass them up. In conclusion, based on my own experience with cataract surgery in 2015, I can assure you that you have nothing to fear with 99% success rate, a lot of gains. And uh, I could uh, so see so much better now than uh, I can see so much better now than I ever could before, even uh, when I had my contact lenses in, and those things were a pain to put in every morning, as you know, if you wear contacts. And the only glasses I need now are these $1 plastic uh, readers, which I don't even use all the time. And uh, <clears throat> so if, for you, things have started getting a little fuzzy now that you're uh, in your mid-50s or, uh, heck, even younger if you smoke or have some of those other problems that we talked about, I want you to go to the eye doctor and get it checked out. I urge you to go because you really have nothing to lose and everything to gain. And that's our program for today. And remember, for your own personal roadmap to a joyful and prosperous second half of life, please preview and purchase my book, I Need the Money. <laughs> no, that's... I'd just like you to take a look at it. It's called A Midlife Challenge Wake Up by Roy C. Richards. It's available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble or through our website, middleagerenewal.com. That's middleagerenewal.com. And uh, the book covers most problems and challenges of middle age along with a solution for every one of those challenges. And we'll see you next time. Hope you have a great day. Tune in next week for Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Bye for now. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 